This is Strange Assembly, episode 141, Gen Con 2014 Preview. Well, it's that time of year again, Mike. The weight of the board gaming universe prepares to descend upon Indianapolis, and we will be there. No endless whining this year about, oh, I'm having, my wife is having a baby. I don't get to be there. Aren't you glad that you won't have to hear that anymore? Uh, yes. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So, well, I'm, I'm happy you get to go. <laughs> that is Mike Cook. I am Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. We are at strangeassembly.com, where you can subscribe to this, let's say, fine podcast on iTunes. And so what we are going to do today is talk about some of the things that we are looking forward to seeing at Gen Con. So... First, I will note that we are excluding Legend of the Five Rings for this episode. There will be a separate episode about what's going on with L5R at Gen Con. So, as excited as I am about the big L5R experience on Saturday night, and as awesome as an L5R guild hall must be, because I like guild hall and I like L5R, so putting them together cannot go wrong. That is for uh, another episode. And I'll also note that we're just going to go ahead and, and, and steal the Dice Tower Top 10 formatting, which is probably not theirs originally, but they're the ones I listen to, and it seems to work pretty well. So Mike and I have each just picked out our Top 10 things that we're looking forward to at Gen Con, and we're just going to go through that list, and hopefully that will keep us to a manageable less than seven hours of talking. Do you think that's possible? How how talky do you feel today? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like death warmed over after working on something until two in the morning last night, and then getting up for you know actual work. So ho- hopefully, I don't feel that talky. But you are first. Start start off your list. All right. So number ten on my list is Samurai Spirit. Uh, it's a game designed by, I think it's Antoine Bauza. He's the same guy who did, uh, Seven Wonders and, oh god, what is the, what is the co-op one with the ghosts? Ghost Story? Ghost Story, yeah. He, he, so he did Seven Wonders and Ghost Story, and I, I really, really enjoy both of those games. There's one or two others that he's done that, I, that I've really enjoyed. And this one has an aspect of ghost stories to it, apparently. It's kind of like a co-op thing i'm not super familiar with it but just on that name alone i want to go and try it see what it is i always like to see what his what new thing he's doing my number 10 is called foretold rise of a god by legion supplies and apotheosis games designed by jay semerod and the concept here just Sounds kind of interesting. You have a temple, you gather these faithful followers, you build up your religion, and then you basically fight it out, and whoever wins then, you know, becomes a god. And so you've got these tiles that tiles that come out that you use to arrange your temple. There's four different factions. Chaos, grace, prosperity, wisdom. And it's got some economy going on. 
It's got some raiding going on, and it's got some replayability because of the factions, and I don't know, just something about the the concept of, like, that sounds interesting. I want to play that. It's going to be on sale at Gen Con. I will, will at the very least, try to to get a, a demo in of this. So that was my number 10, Foretold Rise of a God. So my number nine actually appears later on Chris's list, so we'll talk about it when we get to that one. Also, my number nine appears later on Mike's list. So why don't we just go to your number eight, Mike? So my number eight is Istanbul from AEG. This is a game that's had a lot of buzz. It actually won, what? which award was it? It won the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, so the strategy game of the year or something. It's it's like the Spiel des Jahres, but it's supposed to be a game that's a little bit more complicated. Right. So from what I've seen, it's it's got a bunch of tiles and a bunch of resources. There's a bunch of choices you make. I don't know. I've heard a lot of really good buzz. Um, I've heard a lot of really good things about it, so I'm I'm pretty excited. Yeah, there, it sounded like there were, part of the shtick was that you have your master worker that kind of goes around, but he doesn't really do any work himself. He just is instructing your what instructing your apprentices on what to do. So you have to make sure that you uh, have pick up your apprentices and keep them moving around, or else your master will be left there and and just won't do any work on his own. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, effectively my number 11, so I hear that we know the people at AEG, so I think there's a reasonable chance we'll get to play this soon. (laughs) Hopefully. Yes. My number 8 was Mike's number 9, and that is Lords of Zidit, let's say X-I-D-I-T, Lords of Dixit, I I think is uh, is the joke that people are making, Lords of Dixit. (laughs) Uh, that's from uh, Libelud. And talking to Mike before, I think that one of the reasons that it immediately drew my eye is the same as one of the reasons it drew Mike's, which is you look at the box cover, and it looks like Seasons. And Seasons was awesome, and Seasons had awesome art. So Yeah, basically. <laughs> and, and there's actually Seasons promo cards in this. So the the biggest stick that they seem to be doing this is first of all it has action programming but also then at you get to the end of the game and you do the scoring and there are different categories of scoring and you don't know what order the categories are going to be in or i'm sorry no let me try that again it's randomly determined at the start of the game what order the categories are going to be in but it'll do one category and whoever is the worst in that category loses and then it goes to the next category. So you, as you're playing the game, have to kind of pay attention to where you are in relation to the other players in these different categories, which then is going to vary up based on how the scoring is going to go. You know, if I'm 17 times better than you in every single category, except the first one, nothing else is going to matter. Uh, was there anything else what, that, that drew you to uh, Zidit? No, just that, that was basically it. The art design is very strong for me. It's kind of bright and colorful. It's not something you see all that often with board games, I don't feel like. And when I read the description of the gameplay, it sounded like it could be very interesting. Yeah, okay, that is Lords of Zidit from Alibalud. 
And, and look, and you've got a seven, and you'll actually, it'll be the second game in a row, you'll actually be able to say what the name of the game is. That should be exciting. Absolutely. So, uh, my number seven is Descent Manor of Ravens. This is more a guesstimate for me that this will most likely be out at Gen Con, but the timing of when it was announced and everything makes sense for it to be released then. It's an expansion for Descent, um, and the thing is it has kind of like a Shadow Loft-type feel to it. You know, it's kind of a haunted, creepy castle, chateau, whatever type thing going. And I really like Descent, so this just seems like it'd be something I, I'm really interested in. Well, now, now this is going to sound like a weird question because the the name of it is actually Manor of Ravens, but when you say Shadow Loft, do you mean Ravenloft? Oh, yeah, maybe that. <laughs> maybe. I knew I, I knew I got it wrong earlier, but I couldn't remember what it was. They're head faking you. They're like, no, no, seriously, it's just like Ravenloft, but we put Descent on it. <laughs> Basically. Yes. It's a slice of it anyways. Yeah. My number seven is later on Mike's list, so what do you have up for us at number six, Mike? My number six shows up later on your list. Hooray! It's my (laughs) turn again! My number six is Consequential from Asmati Games, designed by Carl Chudik and Chris Sieslik, or something to that effect. And this one is only available for a demo at Gen Con. And then it's going to go on Kickstarter. And it's kind of, it's almost weird that I I, I like this, because it has some possible marketing things that I'm not always enthused about, like a a necessity that you have to buy the base game, and then you have to buy the three follow-ups, essentially. But this is a game that incorporates necessarily i think an app on your on a laptop or the ios or or whatever and you go through a a stand or standard turn-based game for about 45 minutes and then you have to flip on the app which tells you some story and then does a a 10 minute long real time section of the game it's cooperative. There's there's four acts to the story, so the base game is Act One, and then there's two, three, four. So I will be much more excited by this if the Kickstarter goes up and it's like, oh, you can kickstart for sixty dollars the whole thing, as opposed to, oh, it's forty dollars per thing on on Kickstarter. But it is something that I I'm looking forward to to checking out the demos of at Gen Con. That was uh, consequential from Asmati Game. All right, and then we should be on number five. That is correct. So my number five is the new Pathfinder Adventure card game base set, which is uh, Skull and Shackles. So I really enjoyed the original Pathfinder Adventure card game. I got it at the last Gen Con, and I got it with a character set, and I've basically stuck with it. I've still got the fifth and sixth pack to play through. I'm doing a solo playthrough. But I've really enjoyed my time with it, so I'm really looking forward to see what new things that they add in the new base set. Yeah, uh, now yeah, I, I do have to say, as you mentioned, liking that last year, I always, I always think uh, if you're a a manufacturer, I'll tell you what, Mike putting your game on his list right here is probably something you're much more interested than me putting your game on my list because Mike Cook, this man, he goes to Gen Con to shop. 
<laughs> I try not to. I, I really try not to. I've been getting better every year, but it's still too much stuff. If this, if your game is on his list, of his list of ten things he's most interested in, and you actually have it for sale at the con, he is going home with it. Especially since we're driving. Yeah. This year, so we I've got the I've got the minivan, so there's room. None of this. Oh, where do I put it when I fly back to Atlanta? To me, part of the fun of Gen Con is actually being able to have board games before they're actually released. But sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a month or a half or two months, especially if they run into production problems with the main line, which I've <laughs> had happen before. Yes. But yeah. So, yeah, I I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm actually worse or or better it just is what it is but now that there's sort of an exception to my usual restraint for my number five which was mike's number six which is the again presumed force and destiny beta the reason these are presumed is because fantasy flight does not officially announce anything for gen con release but there's a good, very good chance that anything that's slated for a quarter three release They'll actually have some of it at Gen Con. And for the last two years, they have premiered the beta of one of their Star Wars role-playing core books at Gen Con. So last year it was Age of Rebellion. Two years ago it was Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, which is the now you're a Force user line, is also going to be there. And and the reason why this is a, a distinct lack of restraint is because I do have to admit that there's something a little bit silly about paying $30 for the beta version of a book when you're not going to participate in the beta part of it, and, and you know you're going to buy the game when it comes out next year. <laughs> for real. <laughs> but still, I like Star Wars, I like the Star Wars roleplay system, I always think it's kind of neat because you can go back to your beta book and then look at the release book and you can actually see what they changed. And it's just interesting to me to see the different changes. I've been looking forward to Force and Destiny since they announced that. Uh, as I've said before, Edge of the Empire, the Smugglers and Spies, one of the three, is essentially the least interesting to me of the, the Star Wars role-playing books. And that I am totally the guy who was in the Star Wars role-playing group, I said, like, doesn't everybody always have a Jedi in their party when you play Star Wars? Oh, no, wait, that's just because I'm there. <laughs> and so I have been looking forward to see what they do with that, how much Force and Destiny is designed to to work well with the other systems on a base level or to not work well. I, To some extent, I almost hope that it isn't, because one of the advantages of of having them out separately is that you don't is to having like the force user stuff in its, in its own book is that you don't have to balance it in the same way just like in the the Warhammer 40k roleplay line a death watch character is not balanced with a dark heresy character space marines just beat the snot out of random inquisitorial acolytes they're just better and that's okay the problem issue i don't know whatever word you want to use that comes up in Star Wars role-playing usually is that you want to have the Jedi as an option, and you want to have a non-Jedi as an option, or whatever sort of Force user we're talking about. 
but you want all the sort of characters to be balanced. But, right, Jedi aren't balanced. Jedi are supposed to be good at the Force and actually good at other stuff, too. Well, we'll, we'll see what they do. My guess is that you will not be able to get to, like, Jedi Knight. You'll probably be a Force adept or whatever, so you can get pretty, you know, you can get pretty well done or whatever. It's I, I think they're either going to do it where it's you're just not going to get to that higher level of Force yet, or they're going to do it where it actually does scale more than the other games. I think that there will be a, a Jedi sort of option. I mean, this is Rebellion era. They're, you know, you know, one of the main characters in the original trilogy is a guy who becomes a Jedi or is in the process. I don't know if you'll, I mean, what, what exactly level of Jedi or whatever, but I, you know what has often been done is that you have, right, you're going to have, if, if it holds the form, you'll have six different careers, and if they did that in the most common way that that has been done in the past with how they break up, things like that, three of those careers might be Jedi careers, right? Jedi Guardian, Jedi Sentinel, Jedi Counselor, am I recalling those correctly? I think that's how they... It, it changes around a bit. They break them down, but yeah, I, you know, with different levels of combat focus or force focus, and I, I don't know, we'll just have to to see what those are. But regardless, I will... I'm not bum-rushing uh, anything at the start, but that is something that I, I will surely make sure to pick up off of the, the Fantasy Flight booth and devour and so well i don't think you'll even have to bum rush it at all because those usually last for at least a day they usually bring a lot of copies of them i will not have to bum rush for that i i don't think there will be an issue getting it this gen kind of i'm looking forward to it but i don't think there's any one thing that people are going to bum rush this year like they have in previous years uh, maybe, maybe the top one or two in mind yes I, I was i was well yes i i can think of one that i think will get, although there's, I guess maybe the company has done something that maybe this won't happen, which we can talk about. I guess the other thing I will mention as an offsuit here is that, because this word Star Wars land, I I am still looking forward to Empire versus Rebellion. I was a little led enth- less enthusiastic after uh, I found out that it was a, s- a reskin of CIA versus KGB and not something new, but it's still cheap and I'll definitely buy Empire versus Rebellion, but I I feel like that might be far enough out that it's not actually going to show up at Gen Con, but I'll probably buy that if it's a Gen Con too. So usually, if it's a reskin, usually it, it's real easy for them to put, turn it around. Yeah. So, but I, I guess we know my weakness, right? Apparently, you just put Star Wars in it, and and then it could be another thing I could pretend that Benjamin can play. <laughs> he will actually do things like specifically say, I want to play a Star Wars two-player game with you, which is, right, His he, he's got this sort of weird conception of, of two-player, and part of his two-player is his way of saying, I just want you and I to play something. <laughs> and so, I have some old, really not good, what is it, Clash of Lightsabers? I, I mean, it's some... Right random card game from back when episode one came out so the entire game was literally half of the qui-gon versus darth maul fight and then x-wing miniatures which of course he does not get at all right we're playing x-wing miniatures with the the basic rules in the sort of introductory thing and still he doesn't really have any conception of strategy in his maneuvers it's just 
you know, like I think the closest he's got to strategy is he seems to have finally gotten the concept of you need to make sure that your ship points at mine if you want to be able to shoot. Because he'll actually say, Daddy, I can't find the red one. Because <laughs> on, right, I think, because I think the only red maneuvers on those dials are the, are the U-turns. Yep. We just do the two TIE Fighters versus the X-Wing from the base game, so. Anyhow. Anyways. That, I swear, that's all, the, that was my number five, the Force yep. and Destiny beta <laughs> from Fantasy Flight. So my number four is the Conquest LCG from Fantasy Flight. Once again, not something that's absolutely confirmed, but I cannot... Oh, well, no. It's got a tournament for it. Yes. So we're pretty sure it's going to be coming out. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's Warhammer 40k, yeah. Right. It is the Warhammer 40k LCG that's going to be coming out. I think it looks very interesting and different enough from the other stuff that they've been putting out. It's enough that I'll, you know, I'll potentially pick up a base set. I might try it on the floor. Uh, because I've been keeping up with articles, and so I, I have a good idea of how the game actually works. And I'm enough of a 40k fan that I play it. I'm not enough to actually c- collect an army or whatever, but uh, or at least not anymore. But I, I kind of like the lore enough that you know, if I can play some Tau in like a CCG that, or you know LCG format or whatever, that I'm pretty interested in that. And the game looks like it could be very good. Warhammer 40k Conquest was number seven on my list when we skipped over that earlier. I like 40k as, as we've discussed before. I particularly like Space Marines. There's a reason why there's a whole mess of Death Watch RPG book reviews up on our website. I still think it's a travesty that I can't play Space Marines and Eldar in the same deck, but whatever. Oh, that's right. They're not on the faction wheel, right? No, no, because I think it's, uh, Space Marines and then the Tau. And then the Eldar. Yeah, that's really weird. I would, I would expect, I would expect Eldar to be next to Space Marines. Eldar definitely next to Tau, but I don't know who else would be next to Tau. Anyways, everybody they had to pick two for, and right. What are you gonna do? But yeah, I think it's because it's like the Imperial. I mean, the Imperial Guard, whatever the fancies, Adeptus Ministorum or whatever, and then the Space Marines, and then the Tau, and then the. I'm Eldar. sure there's probably some card design aspects to those choices as well yeah it is what it is it's been a while since i played 40k i sort of when i was back in high school we we sort of had this thing where like a couple of us had a lot of ccg cards and then a couple of us had a lot of warhammer 40k miniatures and we'd kind of share because <laughs> <laughs> all those things are really expensive still are only only getting worse yeah well you know what if if they sold I, I don't know, like, if they sold pre-painted 40k miniatures, like they did for... You'd have to buy a second house so you could mortgage it as well to collect that army. Well, but part of the thing is that just the prices are... The prices are so high, and the whole painting thing, I don't really get any enjoyment out of, partially because I'm terrible at it, and it's just not the same thing if you're not playing with the painted army, but I... I think that's a whole separate discussion, so... Yeah. The one downside to this is the sort of thing that we've already talked about that we run into is that uh, how many of the customizable games can can you maintain at any one point in time? Right, and, uh, and I don't know how much I'll maintain Conquest. It might just be something I buy the box set for, and it's yeah. just... It's fun to have it for it. 
maybe every once in a while if if there's down months where like if I stop playing other card games or there just isn't very much to go on, maybe I'll buy a couple of them or something like that. I don't know. I, I suppose you'd have a little bit of awkwardness at the edges, but I suppose this is a game where I right are all the cards faction specific? Or are some of them neutral? I think some are neutral. Okay, well, never mind. I was going to say, these are, since you only have to have one deck, and I was thinking, if all the cards were faction-specific and there's only limited mixing, this could be a game where you could do something like split the cost with somebody else, and each of you gets four of the factions that are in a row on the wheel or something like that. But if there's neutrals, that's not going to work. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. If there are neutrals, I don't know how important they're not. But anyways, I guess we'll see. Yeah, so that is Warhammer 40k Conquest from Fantasy Flight. That was, it was your number four. So my number four is that Haba has a booth at Gen Con. Haba is a German company and they make little kids games. You know, like this is a my first game. And so they have a reputation for being very high quality components and for being much better games than your standard shoots and ladders Candyland schlock that one most often uh, gets to play with kids. And as much as it warms part of my heart to do something like play X-Wing miniatures with my three-year-old, he's not really playing the game in the same way. You know, he's kind of going through some sort of weird motions and he enjoys it in its own way, but it's not sort of the same as him. But Haba is, for the first time, going to be a Gen Con. They're going to have a bunch of games, and these are games that you usually can't get in the United States. If they're coming to Gen Con, they've got to be bringing releases more. Some, like Animal Upon Animal, have been released in the United States, but they've got a set of a whole mess of existing games that they'll be bringing along, and they've got some new games that they're bringing along. I can say the names. It probably doesn't mean a lot to most of, of you. Are Hungry as a Bear, Lily's Favorite Clothes, Plucky Pilots, Teddy's Colors and Shapes, Unicorns in the Clouds. These are our little kids' games, but if you're like me and you actually have little kids, this is, to me, is pretty cool to actually be able to go and see what these games are and kind of get a closer inspection than just trying to kind of guess off of a website because it's a game that was only in German before now. So that is my number four, just that Haba is actually going to have a presence at Gen Con this year. Okay, so then um, my number three is Shadowrun Crossfire. This is a deck-building game in the Shadowrun world. I'm really looking forward to this one. It's, it's a co-op deck-building game. So I guess it shares some aspects with Pathfinder, but... Basically, there are, you play a character, there's like four different characters that you can start off with, and they're just, it's just a mix of stats, like starting health and starting cards in your hand and starting money. And then you pick a role, and that just basically sets your basic deck for the most part. And then the cards are usually, they have two or three different purposes. They typically have an ability or damage that they can be played against, like whatever objective that you're up against. They also have a new yen value that you can use to buy things with. And when you buy things in this game, they actually come up into your hand rather than having to cycle back through. And 
the game has different objectives that you're playing, which are these big sheets that are included in the game. And they tell you, here's how you set up, here's how the game plays and flows and whatnot, and here's how you win. So there's a bunch of different ones of those. It's co-op one to four, and you can actually scale up, and they actually, it comes with stickers that you can put on your character sheets for permanent improvements once you get enough gameplays in that you can actually upgrade your character. It looks like it has just enough depth while being just accessible and not clunky enough to be a lot of fun. And I love Shadowrun. Yes, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, on the flavor, it was kind of interesting. I, uh, I think Tom and Eric were actually just talking about this on the most recent episode of the Dice Tower, and, and one of them said something like, yeah, the flavor, like, blah, 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 really reminds me of Netrunner. I'm like, well, it should, <laughs> because Netrunner is, it doesn't actually use the straight up license anymore, but Netrunner was originally a Cyberpunk 2020 license, and, and Cyberpunk 2020 and, and Shadowrun, to me, are sort of one of a piece. Not that there aren't big differences. Shadowrun has fantasy stuff in there, too. Cyberpunk 2020 right. doesn't. But they both kind of share the sort of dystopian, corp-heavy, you know, right. near future. Well, well, they they come, they both come out of the um, what is it, Snow Snow Crasher? No, that's I'm thinking of the movie that just came out, Snow Crash, that first um, novel that was like the first time you saw cyberpunk anywhere. And then they both they came out within a, a, a fairly short amount of time of each other, if I remember correctly. And it's basically, one's just straight technical, and the other one is magic has come back into the world, and here's all the stuff that's happened because of it. Uh, yeah, it still I, has aspects of Netrunner stuff. Yeah. But, uh, um, sorry, the 2020. I'd probably, probably the most prominent cultural thread for that is Gibson. Yeah. I think, yeah, Neur- Neuromancer and, and that sort of thing. And I, I think... Both of those games owe a lot to, to him. And Stevenson. Yeah. So yeah, that was Shadowrun Crossfire. My number three is later on Mike's list, so we'll saddle up later. Hey, that might be a little bit of a tip, but my <laughs> number two. My number two is Seven Wonders Babble. I love Seven Wonders. I will say Cities is probably my least favorite aspect of seven wonders as far as like the expansion I, I think it's it's okay but some of the things that it added almost were almost as annoying as they were like added strategic components to it but seven wonders Babel has two different things that it's adding one is the second set of tiles that you're going to have that that's going to be one of your plays instead of playing a card as you play one of these tiles and you uh, it's the tower of Babel or whatever so it's got four different quadrants and you build from the starting quadrant going around and then once you do the fifth quadrant it overlays over the first quadrant, and each of these tiles that you're laying does a basic rule change for the game, so it actually affects a lot of stuff that's going on. So some of them, like, instead of taking one lost token, you'll take two lost tokens. There's a bunch of other ass things like that. So it's like, you know what, I might want to cover up what somebody else has put down because it's bad for me, or I might want to put this down because this is good for me, and they're negative points if you keep those tiles in your hands. So to me, that seems like it's a, it's a pretty fun little side thing that's not going to add too, too much for your decision making um, and, and actually add will add quite a bit. And Seven Wonders is still easily one of my top three games of all time. So I'm very, anytime they get a new expansion, I'm very excited. Yeah, sometime we should 
It's all the rage. We should do that sometime. Make our top X games of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Seven Wonders Babel was my number nine. And I did have to think about that a little bit because, like Mike, I really like Seven Wonders. But I'm much more down on the expansions than Mike is, right? You would say Cities is your least favorite. I would just say Cities is a bad expansion. Especially for a game like Seven Wonders where being streamlined is is part of the point of the game, I think. Cities just added way too much fiddly stuff. Leaders was much better than Cities. Leaders added a lot to the game. Yeah, good. But still, I put Babel on here because I really do like the idea of the sort of... <laughs> of the global rules changes over the course of the the game. It reminds me of, what do we call this, like chaos magic or something, where right. ultimately, I think, for, for the most part, just straightforward free-for-all magic is always a disaster, in, in my mind. But one of the little alternate versions that people had with that, which they later made a real version with... Uh, Plane shift? Plane shift is what they, they call that format, where you've got some sort of global effect that's in play, and then over the course of the game, from turn to turn, that shifts, and something different and interesting happens. Well, you have to roll the die to make it happen, but yeah. In plane shift, you do in... Back in old Chaos Magic, when I had it, you know, we would... Uh, you'd have a stack of, of global enchantments or something, you'd flip a new one up every turn, or... You'd have a list of a hundred things, and you'd roll a, perce- a percentile dice and ca- the sort of homebrew versions before yeah. they had the the official one. This seems more more like plane shift to me because it, it's a decision that you have to make. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going in the wayback machine, I right. guess. Well, you know, I will say so. The one thing that I really did not like about cities, the, the main mechanic that I did not like, but you couldn't have cities without that mechanic, is debt. Because debt just kind of came out of nowhere and made made it so that you always had to play where you had money. And to me, that was just, it was kind of bad. It was not like I took debt, it's you forced debt on me, which felt very anticlimactic. And it wasn't even to your opponents, it was to everybody. But Seven Wonders Babel, this feels like, okay, well, I'm putting down a mad, bad thing, but it, it's going to affect everybody, and there's a chance that you have some way of getting rid of it. Whereas with debt, you just, you didn't have anything you could do. You just kind of had to deal with it. I mean, everything else that they have is just boards, and the boards are all fine. Yeah. So that was Seven Wonders Babel. My number two is Trains Rising Sun from Alderac Entertainment Group. I think Trains was Trains was one of my favorite games of 2013, and therefore, because that's the standard I care about, I think it was one of the best games of 2013. If you haven't played it, it's basically, let's take Dominion and add a board. So you you know you have a little color of rail line and it, over in addition to building your deck you're putting out stations and track on the map. Trains Rising Sun is a standalone expansion. The original game had two maps. Rising Sun has three maps, two of which are specifically designed to be two player maps. It also adds in. I think they literally just call them tickets. So I. I, I where you can get rewarded for actually constructing a particular route instead of just point maximizing on the board. So I would have been pretty excited for just getting more trains generally, but I definitely want to see what the different things that they will do with this, because if there was anything that was a weakness to trains, 
I would say that it's there were just a few too many cards that were kind of Dominion clone things and that were not necessarily that exciting or appropriately costed within the co- within the scope of trains itself. And so I, I would like to get more of that. I like to, I'm really looking forward to see the, the changes that they made. I will say I, I completely agree with you. And I felt like there was trains had this really weird dichotomy of cards that were like, wow, I've never seen this before in a deck builder because of how this game interacts with its game board. And the fact that most of your victory points are going to be on the game board, so you can't ignore it. But at the same point, the other half were just like, okay, these are like power dominion cards. Like I draw a card and play another, get another action or whatever. The more I play deck builders, I know, I mean, I understand why people like them. They're, they're very, very good cards, but they tend to draw out turns. So I've, I've come to like them less and less. So one of the things I wanted from Trains was, yeah, exactly. I wanted more cards and hopefully more different cards. The only reason this isn't on my list is I want to see what cards they come out with because I like Dominion, but there was that Alchemy expansion that was really bad. Alchemy was an awful expansion, yes. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but you never really know. You know, it's one of those things that, especially with these deck builders, they're as much the actual cards as they are the rules for the game itself. Yeah, the the actual cards you release for any any, any of these customizable. But yeah, I I gotta say I will be really ticked off if Rising Sun is as bad as Alchemy because that would be ex- oh yeah no I can't imagine it would be. that would be extremely disappointing. Yeah, Alchemy is is awful. So you know I, I've got my fingers crossed, but that's why it didn't appear on my list. Was just. I'm real skeptical about that type of thing, and that's really the biggest thing it's going to add. The two-player map will be nice and whatnot, but the new cards are going to be what it really lives or dies by, I think. Well, there have been some maps that have come out since then. I actually played the other month on a on a promo map that was Gen Con, basically. It was, it's yeah. like the Ohio and Indiana map, but okay. Number one... It's going to be so hard to guess for anyone who listens to this podcast what your number one is. Well, since you actually took it off of the band list so we could actually pick it, yeah, it's it's Doomtown. The new Doomtown LCG is my number one pick. It's the thing I'm the most excited for for Gen Con. Actually, since we obviously have had a chance to play it since AG kindly provided a review copy, I'm, I'm even more excited, honestly. I, like, I really like it. I really want to get my hands on it. And I want to start building and customizing decks and having some fun with it. Yeah, and I think that this is all the things I look at and see. Like, would there be a the, the stampede you were talking about on Thursday to try to get it? I think Doomtown would be it. But it feels like they, like, it feels like AEG kind of realized how big of a thing they might have on their hands. Yes. For the regular game, it seems like they're really trying the hardest to make sure they have enough copies. And you can pre-order them. Right. So if you know you want the normal Doomtown, you can just pre-order it. Right. That's what I, I, I referenced earlier. Yeah, they've taken steps to mitigate that. What you will have to stampede if you want to get, at least get right away, is the premium version of the base game. Just like the Fantasy Flight LCGs, I, I guess I should take a moment to note that, yes, we're aware that Doomtown is not an LCG in as much as LCG is a registered trademark of Fantasy Flight games. It's, it is an ECG, an expandable card game. It's the, right, it's the same concept, which is it maintains the customizable aspect of 
CCGs. Like the Fantasy Flight ones, the core set is 40 bucks, and you need two of them. If you want a play set of everything. Yeah. $40 is a, a normal sort of price point for a here-is-a-standalone card game experience. And w- when you're going in for 80 you're getting twice as much stuff, but you're also, at that point, sort of participating in the much broader metagame thing. Like, frankly... If you pay $80 and then, you know, like the $10 or $15 a month every month or every other month or however often they release things, you're probably getting more out of your money in the long run than somebody who just buys the $40 thing. Because if you're buying all that stuff, it probably means that you're playing it over and over again. Right, exactly. But yeah. We've talked about Doomtown before, so we don't want to belabor it, but if, if for some reason you, you know, somebody does not know Doomtown, Doomtown is a weird West setting. It had and still has a license from the Deadlands role-playing game. It is factional. There are four factions at launch, and my prediction is that it will remain at four factions for mm, a year. Yeah, I think that's about right. And that's the, the Law Dogs... Sloan, sort of a bandit gang, the Morgan Cattle Company, which, you know, an evil business economy sort of thing, and then the Fourth Ring, which is some sort of freaky circus, and they have the the hucksters, the, the guys who can use hexes. Yep. We know that there's more stuff coming. Like Right now, the only kind of spell is the hexes, but it's already set up to have, what, shamans and blessed. Yeah. So, I, I don't they, know. They, they, they mentioned those attachment types in the rules. Y- yeah. I don't know if those will start to creep into the existing factions or if those will be things that show up next year. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's it's probably worth talking a little bit about the, the collector's edition on top of it. People are going to be running towards it. Because if I remember correctly, and hopefully I do remember this correctly, the collector's edition, it comes with a full playset of everything, except for you only get two jokers instead of four jokers, which is fine, basically. Well, you get a full playset of everything, which right. two jokers is a full playset. Right. You get a full playset of everything if you buy two normal ones. You get a full playset of everything if you buy one premium one, which you won't end up with if you buy one premium one as compared to the buying two normal ones. Is that you'll only have one playset of Jokers instead of two. And Correct. you'll only have one set of faction cards instead of two. Right, but they actually have, I think they're wood. Or, they may not be wood, but there's some kind of premium. Yeah, they're wood or acrylic action card. or something, yeah. Yeah, then they're going to have, they have like real metal coins for currency, and they've got something for Ghost Rock that looks pretty neat, and then they've got actual like clay poker chips instead of the, the little tokens, and it comes in like a briefcase, so it looks kind of like a, a playing card briefcase yeah it's like a big wooden looking box i don't know if is it actually put or it and you're you're mixing up the flavor here it doesn't come with little money and then what is the ghost rock the ghost rock is the money it oh, comes yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, metal that's, ghost right. Rock. that's right i'm sorry my bad um <laughs> I don't, for me personally 40 extra dollars is probably not enough for all that extra stuff. i'm sure there are plenty of people who will love all that stuff but i can get another set of poker chips to go for less than 40 dollars so I don't know. I, I think I'm going to be doing the two of the regular myself, but that's fine. Because uh, uh, that premium one is going to sell like crazy. They are absolutely going to instantaneously sell out of however many of them they have at Gen Con. 
but that is Doomtown Reloaded. We've had podcasts about that before. We'll have them again. You can see a few things on the article on our website. Although, I, I say this in the article, but let me mention, none of us knows what we're talking about with Doomtown. The game isn't, you know, out yet. We've got one set. It's not the same thing as playing for real with that construction. And it's not like we ever know anyways. Well, there's different degrees of not having a clue. Fair enough. That's Doomtown Reloaded from Alderac Entertainment Group. My number one, and you're going to have, you have some splaining to do about how this is not on your list at all. My number one is Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. It's Dungeons and Dragons! The new players have, I know the starter set just came out, mine literally came in the mail today, but the player's handbook will be for sale at Gen Con, some adventures in the Monster Manual and the GM's Guide come in, I think, September, October, November. It's the granddaddy of all role-playing games. It's not the very first gamer thing I ever played. That would be Space Hulk. But it was one of the first. D&D is great. There's a crowded role-playing game field these days. There's only so much time in life to play them, and 4th edition was awful. But I think that 5th edition is going to be so much better than 4th edition was. And Dungeons and Dragons will always be an exciting thing that has a special place in my heart. It's the foundation of, of an entire genre of game, not just a genre, like a market. It would be like saying, I don't know, pointing at something and saying, this was the first board game. Yeah. <laughs> I actually am very, very excited for 5th edition, or D&D as they're calling it. I like basically everything that they're doing with the game that I've seen, including the basic, because you can go download it right now. You can go download the PDF and start playing if you want. I am even signed up for one of the events to go and do D&D. And when I did D&D next, I want to say last year, it was one of my favorite things. I really like how the game played, and that was when it was still in beta and not actually gotten through everything. So I don't know. I don't know why it's not on my list. <laughs> I will say that for my part, I really did like fourth. Coming from it now, I, I've kind of come to this point where I can see why people don't like fourth. And now I probably prefer my games not to be like fourth. I think fourth gets a lot of hate. It doesn't necessarily deserve, but I can understand why people wouldn't like it. At the same point, fourth feels like it should be more of a niche RPG in fifth, this fifth edition that they're coming out with feels more like back to basics. Let's get people started because this is what people know. This is going to be a very big entry point into D and D. So I really like what they did. I like that they stripped it back to basics, but have options for going up. I like a lot of what they did in the play test and how they listen to feedback and basically everything I've seen for the game. I think it's got a lot of tough competition because there have been a lot of really good RPGs that have come out. But if nothing else, I hope it's a really great gateway RPG. And I, I think the products, when, if you look at the boxes, the products look fantastic. They've really stepped up the art. And, you know, D&D's always been known for its art, but their art now is just, it's really, really good. So uh, clearly Mike's looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. So my number one thing looking forward to at Gen Con is Dungeons & Dragons. Mike's is Doomtown Reloaded, which was my, my number three. Mike and Jay and I will all be at Gen Con this year. The two of us who are not named Mike will be in on the trade day. We need to figure out a way to smuggle you in on Wednesday too, Mike. Uh, that's okay. I've actually got um, some people I might be trying to 
hook up with there that I met last year. Because I had last year I went with friends who one of them actually was from Indiana, so I met some people up there. So I could uh, actually try and do something like that. Yes. Jay gets in as an educator for trade day. So he gets the full trade day experience. I get in on the strange assembly press pass, which means I get the neutered trade day experience. I hope that by being able to do that this year, that will give me a day where I can really get around to booths and, and see more new games. Cause there's just so much at Gen Con. You can go on board game geek and there's a 150 give or take item list of games or expansions just board games that are being released at Gen Con. It's oddly not nearly as big for RPG releases, even though Gen Con really started out much more RPG-focused. Anyhow, so that was our our non-L5R Gen Con 2014 preview. Wait around, let's say, a week. Hey, right, that sounds about right. And we can talk about the L5R stuff that is going on at Gen Con, because there's a whole just a whole mess of things on that front. But in the meantime, you can check us out at strangeassembly.com. You can follow us at strangeassembly on Twitter. You can subscribe to the Strange Assembly podcast on iTunes or through our website. And we always like hearing from you, criticism, comments, feedback. You can reach me, Chris, at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.